If you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. We'll be looking specifically at Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10 this Easter Sunday. As a kid, I like doing a number of things. And one of those things I like doing was I like to skip a rock across the water to see how far it would go. Maybe you've done that too. And in fact, I'm sure many of you, if not most of you, have done that as well. And I still do that sometimes as well. What another thing I like to do is I would like to just grab and get a really, really big rock and then just throw it into the water and see how big of a splash it would make. Now, I know, again, I'm not the only one here who's done that. Well, as I did that, according to my in-depth scientific knowledge of when I was a child, I could tell you that a pebble, you know, would make a little bit of a ripple and a little bit of a splash, you know, like a, you know. And so it would be relatively small. You know, a brick, if you had one of those and you throw those in there, it would be you know, a little bit bigger, you know, you know, kind of thing. And so you'd see that. But what if I threw in a cannonball, right? I mean, we all have those lying around at home. I know you probably do. But what if I threw in a cannonball with the waves, right? I mean, they would be dramatic and they would be substantial. Or what if I didn't hold back? So even using our imagination here this morning, so no holds barred, no expense spared. What if I got all the necessary equipment and somehow was able to go and get one of the largest rocks around, even the giant rock? And I'm not just making that up. That's actually a rock, and you may or may not have heard of it. From, and it's found in the Mojave Desert in California. But what if I took this massive rock, this seven-story tall, 30,000-ton rock that covers 5,000 square foot feet on the ground, and then I just dropped it into the water? Big splash, right? Now, what might the splash and impact of a rock like that look like? I mean, what kind of waves might it create? Well, this morning, we aren't here to talk about pebbles or bricks or rocks. We're here to rejoice in and rejoice over Easter. Over Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. And Easter, all of those things, they sent out waves the giant rock, if you will, never could or can. It created ripples and waves that will go on even until the end of the world and beyond. Try to do that again. Well, this Easter morning... 
we come to look on, in on these things in Matthew chapter 28. To look at, to ponder, and to glory over Jesus. To glory over him who, as we just sung a moment ago, whose cry of love rings out across the lands. The waves going on and on and on throughout history. Even up to this very moment as we gather this Lord's day. And so with that then let's read here beginning with verse 1 of Matthew chapter 28. May God bless the reading of his authoritative, inspired, sufficient word this morning. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee And there they will see me. Now as we read these words from the Gospel of Matthew, all we see here, it didn't just come out of thin air. All of this didn't just appear before this chapter. We have have many other chapters from chapter 1 to 27, that lead up to this point. So much has happened over the course of the last few chapters leading up to this very moment in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Now that means, or at least we should see that then, that these things that came before were not meant to ignore them. But even we must see them before we come to this chapter. If we don't, it's an incomplete picture, an incoherent story, if we just have the moments that we have here. Like, what does this mean? What is this about? Why is he doing this? Who is this? And so on. So Easter isn't just about the things that we read here in these verses. 
It's about the whole thing. And it goes way back, even back to the beginning of our Bibles back in Genesis, which we could do that this morning, go from Genesis to this point. But we're not going to do that this morning. We don't have a few days. But it does do that. And it goes back, of course, to the beginning of this gospel, the gospel of Matthew, to Jesus' life, to his miracles, to his words, to his death, to his burial. And then we come here. So in other words, we don't just need part of Jesus. We need all of Jesus. We need his whole life, his whole person, and we need the whole story here. Not part of it. You lose one piece of this and there is no hope. If he's a sinner, no hope. No incarnation, we don't get here. No perfect sinless life, we don't get here. No death on the cross, and we don't get here. And so it was that then, a week prior to what we read of here in our verses, Jesus, he entered into Jerusalem on what is known as Palm Sunday. So last Sunday, he turned over the tables in the temple on Monday. On Wednesday, the religious leaders, they plotted to kill him, to put him to death. On Thursday, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And then came Good Friday. So contrary to the way that we think, right? I mean, you take out all the knowledge we have of Christianity and calling it a Good Friday after all that he goes through and everything else, even the songs that we sung this morning. I mean, what are you talking about? The wonderful cross. Nobody thought that in that day. I mean, that's like, I love the electric chair. Give me some more of that. I mean, that's, that's what we're singing The wonderful cross. Yet it is. And so what happened then on that Good Friday? Well, Jesus was betrayed. He was denied. And he was delivered over to be mocked, to be insulted, to be reviled, and to be nailed to a cross. And he died. And so also was buried. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Rather, we come here to these verses and to this event. And we come here to a new day. A new day. And what a new day it would be. (laughs) And so it's a new day and it's not the Sabbath day. Now, some get confused over this but the sabbath it's not on sunday shocker maybe some of you did not know that and whenever you hear sabbath you think well that's sunday of course well it's not the sabbath is on saturday (laughs) and so the sabbath is actually the last day of the week the seventh day and sunday is the first day of the week 
Do you treat Sunday that way? As an aside? <laughs> like right now? That's what this is? This is the first day of the week. And what a day to begin the week. Gathering together to worship the risen Christ. And so it's a new day, a new week here in Matthew. But it's also even a marker. A marker declaring that this is the beginning of the end. It's declaring Christ's new creation kingdom starts now. As in then. Now you might hear that and be thinking, well, I'd rather it not be the beginning of the end. I, mean, I'd want, I have a few things I want to do. You know, I want to go do this and do that. I have these plans. Maybe if you don't have children, maybe you want children. Or if you have children, you want to see them grow up. You want to see them go to college and so on. Well, I don't know if I like that. That's just the beginning of the end. But friends, let me tell you that it is the beginning of the end. Just as certain as Christ rose, he will come again. And he will make all things new. And so it is then, in view of all that, that no surprise that we have this great earthquake then. And immediately we come face to face here with the reality of these things. (laughs) The reality of these angelic creatures. And so we see here a direct connection between the earthquake and the angel. So it says in verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, of course, we're not given a full explanation of how all this came about. But in some way, the angel and this earthquake here were connected. Like the angel descending and doing all this brought about, the angel doing that brought about this earthquake. And so the world shakes at what happens here. And it was so it was, and we're meant to see this, Thinking forward, thinking backward as the world, it was shaken at his rising. And what will happen? It will be shaken before he comes again. Now amidst all this, we can know something and you can know something as you read these verses, which you may not want to admit. But what we can admit and what we can see here and what we can know is that angels are real. I mean, even saying that, I mean, that confronts your view of the world very directly, very specifically. Like, what do you believe? And it might even, in saying that, it might even upend your view of the world. Friends, we don't live in a closed, materialistic, naturalistic world. We don't. There is a God to whom you and I will give an account. 
every single one of us in this room and beyond. We are all created, and he is the only one who is uncreated. Think about that for the rest of the day. And he made you, and he made these creatures, and he made all things for his glory. That's why you're alive. It's not for pleasure in this world. It's not for the pursuit of success and happiness. It's not for the pursuit of sex or having sex. It's not for all these things. You exist for God and for the glory of God. And so it is if you aren't living that way, then everything else does not make sense. And everything in this world will equal one word, meaningless. Which is what we're seeing. Yet as we need to know that, we're right to ask, why did he, why did this angel come? Because this was a world-shaking event. And he had big news to give. Nothing will be the same after this. Now the angel didn't move the stone here because Jesus couldn't get out. Like, would someone please help me here? That's not what was going on. If you think that, that's why the angel came, then you got it wrong. He moved it for these women. Even for Jesus' disciples that they would see with a certainty that the tomb was empty. Nobody's here. Because he's risen. Now just consider this. An angel came directly from God's presence to move this stone and meet these women. Does that seem like a big deal to you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, that must mean this is going to be very, very big news. And it is. This is not something that you see every day, right? Oh, yeah, I was taking a walk the other day, and bam, this angel just appeared before me. You know, and you put on your social media, like, guess what, everybody? It happened again. I mean, that's, that's not what we, we encounter, right? That's not what we experience. Or, like, you're driving through Chick-fil-A in the drive-thru, and then where you would expect an angel will be there, at least there, you know, if you drove through a, a drive-thru. And then, bam, there's this angel, you know? I mean, is that, is that what we encounter? No. I mean, that's not our normal experience. I mean, you don't find this at the inauguration of presidents. They don't come down for that. That's not a big deal in God's economy in regard to this. They don't come down for emperors or rulers. But where do we see it? We see it right here. Before Jesus... All of those, all of the kingdoms of this world will be shaken. All the kingdoms of our day, the rulers will bow and every knee will confess Christ as Lord. Whether they believe in him or not, one day he's coming. And that will happen. And you will too. Whether you believe these things or not.
yet. We're not there yet, are we? We're here. An uncreated God is calling for his creation to see and right now to bow before its creator. He does not want you to be a mere observer of these things. He has you here this morning on purpose. You may have barely made it here this morning, but God wants you here right now. And he does not want you to simply be there observing all this and all of these things, but he wants you to partake of these things. To not sit back and look at the feast before you, but to take part and to eat and drink of these things because they are true. He wants you to be part of his kingdom. And he wants you to know him. He wants you to know him through the risen Christ. And so don't just be here as an observer this morning. And so it is after that, the stone and the earthquake and everything else, we have the rising of the king of his kingdom. The rising of the king of his kingdom. There are no waves that will compare with this one. And make no mistake, this is part of the point being made here. More than any other gospel, Matthew emphasizes the kingdom of heaven over and over and over again. The word kingdom in this gospel is mentioned 54 times. Do you think he might want you to to notice that? Like that's a big deal. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he gives instructions for who? Is it just good ethics? Is that what he's giving? No, he goes up on the mountain just like Moses was on the mountain on purpose to say, here are my instructions for those who are part of my kingdom, who have sworn allegiance to me. And so it is that we see things like this in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so it is that they say at his triumphal entry, Hosanna to the son of David. Who is that? King of Israel. Well, here's the one who comes to fulfill the promises of God from 2 Samuel 7 of a king who would never cease to reign and to be on the throne of David. So Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So as we come then to this stone rolled away, the news of the angel of the Lord and the women here, it's declaring in no uncertain terms, the long-awaited Davidic king has come. And at the appearance of this angel and the rolling away of this stone, we see everyone is what? 
terrified, right? I mean, they're scared to death. I mean, this is not a peaceful moment here, right? This is not silent night, holy night. We're not seeing that at this point. I mean, just look at the descriptions of the angel here in verse 3. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And so the guards there, they are absolutely frightened. I mean, they are scared to death. Now, before you look at this and you say, well, man, I mean, these guys are just a bunch of wimps. (laughs) I wouldn't be trembling there. I mean, come on. Well, think again. These guards were likely war-worn men who had probably stared death in the face, not one time, but a number of times, even again and again and again. Yet here, we're told, they were trembling with fear. That's incredible. Now, what do you tremble over? I mean, you may be someone who, like, you know, oh, man, there's a sound outside. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you get all afraid and, and scared. Maybe that's what way you are, and you, you just tremble over anything, you know. Or maybe you're here, you don't get scared by hardly anything whatsoever. Like, oh, a sound outside, bring it, you know. I mean, you're so, I'm not afraid of that. Well, even so, I mean, these guys would have been in the latter category. And so just imagine these people, these guards, trembling in fear before these things. And they were. And so much so that they, it says, had become like dead men. That is terrified. And I find this ironic here. I mean, the closest thing to death at the tomb of Jesus, it wasn't Jesus. It was these soldiers. Jesus wasn't dead, but they were really close to it, these these guards here. But they weren't the only ones afraid, were they? Everybody was. (laughs) The women were afraid too. And this is why the angel turns to them, and he tells them in verse 5, Do not be afraid. Now notice though, as we see that, that the angel, he doesn't do that for the soldiers. Now isn't that interesting? If you're seeking after Jesus, don't be afraid. But if you aren't seeking after Jesus, you have reason to be afraid. You know, it reminds me of a story that John Piper told a number of years ago. And he told of how he went to a friend's house and him and his son went there, I think, to visit or something like that or a meal. And his friend, they had, he had this dog and it was a big dog. You know, not the kind of dog you just run up on, you know, kind of thing. But the friend, he told them, you know, all was just fine with the dog as long as you didn't run from him. (laughs) But if you ran, 
the dog would growl and get ferocious and chase after you because it didn't like people running from him. Well, many of you think, or many of you may think that there's safety in the running. Maybe that's what you've been doing up to this very day. Running after the world with all your heart and mind and soul. And yet, even at this moment, it still has equaled unsatisfied, not enough, give me more. You need to see there's not safety in the running. Hope is not found in running from God, running from Christ, but it's only found in running to Christ. The guards aren't seeking him and they are right to be afraid. It's only those who seek him who will be comforted. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Jesus means that. The world can't do that for you. But he can. So then, after comforting the women, we have the angel's news here. And what news it is. Jesus is not here. Verse 6, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. What news it is, right? And all, even as Jesus said it would be. Three times in this gospel, he told them how he would suffer, he would be killed, and he would rise again. In Matthew 16, 21, Matthew 17, 22 through 23, Matthew 20, 17 through 19. And it happened all just as he said. God is faithful. He never lies. He's never lied to you. Not once. He's never lied to us. Not once. Once, you may feel like he's lied, but that doesn't mean he's lied. He's told you the truth, and he's always done that. And he's always done it in mercy, again and again and again, seeking after us all the way up until the sending of a son to come and save you saying to you, I do not lie. I always do, as I say. And so he has never lied, and he has never lied to you either this morning. And so the angel tells them to go and tell the disciples, and as they go, they meet Jesus. Now, we're not told what they were thinking here. But we see they went out here with a depth of fear. So they were afraid even after having heard that. I mean, the angel said, don't be afraid, but they're still kind of afraid. Like, that's crazy what I just, 
I mean, that angel was terrifying. And, and, but at the same time, they're also glad and they're joyful over these things. And so they go out and maybe they're going out thinking, you know, you know, this is amazing. All that Jesus said is true. I mean, what wonders? Do you know what this means? I mean, what will happen next? I mean, will God, is he going to bring about his kingdom right now? I mean, like, what's going to happen next? I mean, imagine what Rome will think. <laughs> imagine what the world will think. Now, we don't know what they thought, but what thoughts indeed they may have. So as they go, there he is, standing there, flesh and blood among them. Not a ghost, not an apparition, flesh and blood. You could touch him and grab his arm right there. And so as we see all these things in this, these verses in Matthew 28, like the women here, it will not do to just see him and do nothing. A neutral response is not what is called for before the word of God this morning. We're to see and we're to believe Jesus was risen bodily, historically, and really. All of this really happened. Like, if you were there, you would see it with your own eyes. And as we see and say all of this, all these things we see here, we might look at it and see how it challenges the philosophies and the worldviews of our day, and it does that. It most certainly does that. Or we might look at this and see and wonder how Christ came and fulfilled God's word, and we could do that because he did do that. Or we might consider all of the historical, evidential arguments for these things, and we could do that. And all that, all those things can be done. And at times even should be done. But we would be lacking and missing everything if we don't see the personal call for each and every one of you to believe in these things and to look not to just having a head full of knowledge, but to look to the risen and to the living Christ and to make him the Lord and the Savior and the treasure of your soul. If you only know of him, or or, are even able to recite perfectly the myriad of apologetic arguments for him, yet you don't know him, the person, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who lives right now at this very moment, then you have missed everything. You have wasted your life, no matter what you've done. 
Nobel Peace, Nobel Peace Prize, millions of dollars, President of the United States, whatever you are, whatever you have, wasted. He came and he died for your sins. And so maybe you're like the guards here in these verses. Living as dead men and dead women this morning, maybe you're terrified of God. That when you heard that the guards were like that, you're like, yeah, that's where I am. Maybe you're running from God and you've been doing it up to this day. Yet, friend, today is the day to cease running. To cease looking to vain hopes, empty worldviews and philosophies, and to seek him, to see your personal need for Christ. He came to save you, to rescue you, and to redeem you. Now, I say that as someone who also needs saving and rescuing and redeeming, as do every believer here. None of us come to the cross of Christ with any holiness of our own, any righteousness of our own. I'm not okay coming to the cross. You're not okay coming to the cross. We come with empty hands and we cry out, Lord, I believe. Save me, a sinner. So no self-righteousness here this morning. No holier, holier than thou here this morning. We together come under the cross of Christ needing him. And so it is for you to repent and believe the gospel, to confess your allegiance to the risen king. So may you do that this morning and may we all worship the Lord today. What those women did were to do that too. Verse 9, and they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. You know, I wonder, would you do what they did here? Think about it for a minute. Would you have responded like the women did when they saw Jesus? I mean, is that the kind of affection and love and adoration that you have for Jesus. And I'm not just talking about like, oh, and you fall on the ground, you know. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about in your heart. Like if you're someone, you're like, no, I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily do that. But man, I would be like, oh, Jesus, I love you. There you are. You're alive. So how would you respond? Would it be, oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm too dignified to do things like that. I'm a Baptist. We don't do that around here. Right? Or maybe it's something else. I'm an introvert. No, no. Or I'm an extrovert. Whatever you are. Or it may be that you're like, well, what will people think? 
It may be you've never come to faith in Christ. And so you're like, well, I don't know what everybody's going to think of me. Well, don't think of any of that. Just set your eyes on Christ and what he's done for you. And see the lavish love of God and run to him and be free. Or if you're here and you've, you've been in church your whole life, you're like, well, what will people think of me? Like, they think I'm a Christian. And if I come to faith, if I come to Christ, they're going to be like, this was fake the whole time. Well, who cares, right? Again, your eyes only need to be on Christ. You're not here to please me or anyone else here. It's Christ you need. It's Christ I need. And we all need. So if he came and he stood among us right now, right there, how would you respond? He wouldn't be a ghost. He wouldn't be apparition. He'd be standing right there physically. And you would see him. And you could touch him. How would you respond? Let me encourage us and encourage you. Worship Christ. Adore Christ with your head with your heart, with your hands, and with your life. Saying, Lord, I'm at your feet. I love you. I need you. It may be you're here, and you just need to say, all the things of the world have distracted me. Help me. I can't do this on my own. I bow to you, and I'm here seeking you, Lord. And so maybe you need to do that this morning. But all of us here need not come with a neutral response. Lastly, we need come to behold the king, his kingdom, and his people. Behold the king, his kingdom, and his people. See what Jesus says to them in verse 10. He says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Only a few words, right? But did you just see what he said? Did you notice it? You might have missed it. Note what he said of his disciples. What did he call them? My brothers. These guys who are just a bunch of failures, <laughs> right? Running off and everything else. With all their sin and struggles and everything else. He calls them my brothers. And that doesn't come out of thin air either. Rather, back in chapter 12, as Jesus was told that his mother and brothers wanted to speak to him, He said simply, as they're wondering about what he's going to say, what he's going to do, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. How we have skewed 
what Jesus has said of his church. Jesus saw his kingdom as deeper than blood, deeper than your family. He saw his kingdom. And he's calling us here, his brothers and sisters. And that is what we are to be to one another. I mean, is this the way that we see the church today? I mean, is this the way you see the person next to you? The way that we see the local outposts of the kingdom of Christ? I mean, do you see those who profess their allegiance to the king next to you as your brother and sister, even stronger in relationship than your mother or your siblings or your father? I mean, do you see it that way? Well, Jesus sees it that way. And we're to see it that way too. What if we said, Lord, the church isn't about me. It's about you. It's about your kingdom. It's about a people who belong to you, who have sworn allegiance to you, who have declared that publicly, unashamedly through believers' baptism. It's not a light thing. It's a glorious thing. And I commit myself to you and your people because these are my brothers and sisters. They're closer to me than anyone in my blood family ever will be who doesn't know the Lord. So as we see these things, don't be neutral this morning. See, he has risen and hear and see, even as we sang at the beginning, the cry of love that rings out across the lands. The waves of all Christ did up to this very moment. You're filling and I'm filling right now. Jesus is calling you today to believe these things with your heads with your hearts, with your hands, with your feet. And so believe in the Lord. Be like the women here. Be his church. And this Easter, as the women did, go and proclaim him. Go and worship Christ. And go and live for him, our risen living King. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we come before you this Easter Sunday. We come this Lord's Day. We recognize the reason we call it the Lord's Day is because every single Sunday we rejoice in all that you have done in the cross and the death and the burial and in the resurrection. It is the Lord's Day. And it is a marker of this is the beginning of the end. And so we pray, Father, we pray, O Lord God, that you would help us, that you would open our hearts to your word this morning, that we would not be neutral to your word.
that we respond to it. And whatever way that may mean this morning, that means we need to come recommitting our life to Christ or coming to faith in Christ for the very first time. May we do that. Or if it means that we need to say, I have not been part of a church. I've not seen membership in, in, as a priority in my life as you call us to, but now I will. Or if it means I, I have put my faith in Christ, but I've not, I've not proclaimed it. I've not made a, proc- a public proclamation saying I belong to Jesus Christ through believer's baptism. Then may you help us, Lord, whatever response that you would have us to have this morning, may we do it whether there in the pew or down at these steps. So we look to you, Lord. We ask that you would work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.